Good morning, crew. Um, Pastor Dave, welcome to worship. Glad you're here with us this morning. If you are new to Cedar Mill or if you haven't been here in a while, we are right in the middle of this series that we're doing called Spiritual EQ. And in case you're wondering, EQ is just shorthand for this thing called emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is defined this way. Um, it's the ability to recognize one's own and other people's emotions, to just be in tune with what's happening inside of yourself, inside of others. It's the ability to discriminate between different feelings and then label them appropriately, to kind of analyze what's happening inside of yourself emotionally. And then finally, here's the best part, to use emotional information to guide thinking and behavior. So it's this ability to sort of understand what's happening inside of us, appropriately organize it, and then let let our behavior and our actions and our lives be driven out of what is truly going on inside. And so what we're saying in this series is this. You can know a lot about God. You can have a really robust spiritual IQ, but if you have not connected the dots between your spiritual life and the deep emotional realities happening in your soul, then you will never experience the deep, rich, full life that Jesus offers you. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're, as a community, um, taking the opportunity to explore some things we need to do in order that God might have access to the deepest parts of our hearts. We're, in essence, sort of cracking our chests open together and saying, God, can you get in here and do the work that's needed inside of me so that I can live out of that deep, rich, abundant life that wells up from within and live the life that you long for me to live. And this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to sort of figuratively crack our chests open together as we talk about embracing the gift of healthy limits. That's the title for our message today, is embracing the gift of healthy limits. I thought that was actually an appropriate topic for uh, the number one night last night uh, and the number one week to come in which parents will have to limit the candy and sugar intake of their children. So as many of you spend the week ahead monitoring and limiting the sugar consumption of your children, you can think back to this message and think about the limits that God wants you to live within as well. We're tying Halloween straight into the sermon this morning. Really relevant. All right, here we go. We're going to dive in this way. I want, to, I want to sort of start by presenting you with the problem. I want you to understand how much of an issue this might be for you, although some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, I've got this one licked. This is not an issue for me. I might disagree. Here's the problem. We live in a world that is constantly pulling you away from what God wants for you. We live in, we live in a world where we're consistently receiving messages and being told, you do not want to have restrictions in your life. Restrictions and limits are not a good thing. In fact, when you experience, when you feel limits in your life, what we're most often told to do by this world is to focus and buckle down and push through because we are Americans, Dagnabbit. That's what we do. You know, we send men to the moon when no one else can get there, when it seems impossible, and we conquer, you know, manually powered flight. And in the first service I said, we break the four-minute mile barrier. And then this English guy told me in between services, that was an English dude. And I'm like, yeah, we're Americans. We even take credit for the stuff that other people do around the world because that's who we are and because we live in a culture that says this, you can be anything you want to be. How many of you were told that? How many of you are still sort of telling yourself that? You can be anything. You can do anything you set your mind to. Doesn't that sound great? 
it's a lie, but it sounds real good. Um, in fact, our entire kind of credit card culture is built on this very premise. Some of you will recognize this. Visa. What's the slogan? Everywhere you want to be. See, the message of Visa, the message they want us to hear is this. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. In fact, the only thing that's really limiting your life is your credit limit. If you have the right credit card, I mean, you could do anything. You could fly. You could be an Olympic athlete if only you'd switch over to Visa. And I'm thinking, I want one of those. I mean, MasterCard is gone. I could be a ski jumper for crying out loud. Amazing. And that's the message of our culture. In every way and in every facet, limits aren't for you. They may be for other people, but you can push through. There was a real popular movie that came out a few years ago with Bradley Cooper. Um, It was called Limitless. And at the very beginning of this movie, uh, Cooper plays this deadbeat writer from New York City named Eddie. And Eddie is struggling to survive. He has a book contract, but his deadlines are coming up and he hasn't been able to write anything. He's suffering from some severe writer's block and he can't get anything down. Eddie's lazy and depressed and irresponsible and he always looks sort of haggard and disheveled like he hasn't bathed or groomed himself in a while as he walks around. Life is not looking good for Eddie. Then all of a sudden... And he gets his hands on this, this drug, this magic pill, pill that sort of turns his brain loose. And all, suddenly all of his mental limits are removed. And in a matter of just weeks, Eddie has finished his best-selling novel, taught himself to speak several languages, learned to play the piano, and made millions of dollars on the stock market. All in just a couple of weeks from just kind of removing some limits from Eddie's life. And it's fair to point out that during this time, all of a sudden, Eddie... Eddie dramatically improves his appearance. Um, suddenly, he's, he's fit and athletic and well-dressed and very, very handsome in a way that I'm sure Bradley Cooper portrays wonderfully for you ladies. In the first service, some ladies like hooted, and I said, that's inappropriate for church. And if my wife hoots at the next hour, I will be really bummed. And the point is this. Eddie's limits have now been removed, and life is looking good. And that's sort of the point of the movie. It's why I think the movie resonated so deeply with so many people. It's because all of us live with this sense that if there were some places, just a few places in our life where we were less limited, life would be so much better. If if I could only just live beyond my limits, just be a little smarter, just a little richer, just a little better looking, just a few pounds thinner... If I could only be a bit more motivated, just a little bit fill in the blank with whatever you're thinking, then I'd finally be happy. Then I'd find that peace and joy and contentment that I'm looking for and longing for in my soul. You see, we live in this American culture that tells us you can have it all. You should have it all. You deserve to have it all. And actually, if you aren't trying to have it all, you are selling yourself short. And yet, how many of us in this room, in the midst of this world, in the midst of that message, in this culture, in the midst of that lie, have found ourselves so often way too busy, stretched too thin, overcommitted with no margin, like we've taken on too much. And the result is this. Instead of feeling strong and free and liberated and content, all those things we were promised, if we would just push through our limits, we end up feeling rushed and hurried and anxious and stressed out and like somehow we don't measure up. 
You know what, friends? It's not a new lie. It's not a new lie that you can live beyond your limits. Where do we first hear this lie? In the garden, right? Boundaries, rules, restrictions, limits? You're telling me God is limiting you, the serpent says to Adam and Eve? He doesn't want you to eat from this tree? You know, you don't need that. You don't need those limits. You don't need those rules. You should have everything. You should be limitless. Friends, God wants us to understand that learning to accept the limits we've been given in our lives is actually a really good thing. It leads to some deep, deep, wonderful things happening in our souls. And to explore that this morning, I want to invite you to grab your Bible Turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. If you're using a uh, Bible from the P-Rack in front of you, we're on page 860 this morning. We're going to take a look at just a little portion in the life of a guy named John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. And I just want to let John teach us some things, some things that I think all of us need to know about the power of embracing our limits. John chapter 1, we're going to start and pick it up in verse 19. Here's what we're told. Now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Now, just as we kind of launch in here, I'll give you some backdrop. John the Baptist is one of the most interesting characters in the Bible. He's this guy who happens to be Jesus' cousin. But he wasn't mainstream at all. He was fairly eccentric. He lived off the grid, kind of out in the desert. He ate weird stuff. He dressed kind of weird. He would have basically fit right in in Portland. Um, And what we see in John is that he has become, he's kind of risen to become this very well-known and even sought-after prophetic rabbi, preacher, teacher, who talked about the Messiah, who talked about the coming kingdom that Messiah would usher in. And because of John's rising popularity... The religious leadership has taken notice of him and Jerusalem sends the sort of delegation out to the Jordan River, out to the middle of nowhere to investigate John and to find out who this guy is and what he is up to. And so what we have here is John's story, John's testimony about about himself as he's being interrogated, as he's being asked some questions by these religious leaders. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Verse 20. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. So the first thing they ask him apparently is, are you the Messiah? See, Jewish people have been waiting for this king, for this deliverer, for this leader to come and set them free from their oppressors. They've been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for this Messiah. And John has, in this moment, uh, developed such a following that there are rumors starting to float around. Could this be the guy? Could this be him? Could this be Messiah? John says, no. Verse 21. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? There's a prophecy that right before Messiah, Elijah, this great prophet from the Old Testament, would come again. So they say, hey, you're not Messiah. You say you're not Messiah. Could you be Elijah, the one who comes right before Messiah? He said, I am not. Strike two. So now they'll try again with question number three. Are you the prophet? 
Now at this point, they've shifted to another Old Testament prophecy, one way back in the book of Deuteronomy. This prophet would apparently rise up one day and he would speak directly to the people of God, the people of Israel, right on behalf of God himself. And so they're anticipating this prophet and they say, John, are you the prophet? And he says, no. He answers, no, not him either. Finally, verse 22. Finally, they said, perhaps a bit of frustration here. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Our jobs are on the line here, dude. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Friends, here's our our first point today. If you're taking notes, here we go. Healthy limits, what we learned from John, are rooted in a strong sense of godly identity and calling. You see, right away in this passage, right away as we get into this dialogue and this narrative, we find this out. John knows who he is. John has a very clear sense of who he's called to be and what he's called to do. I love how in this passage that when John is pushed, when, they, when the pressure gets applied, who are you? Give us an answer. What does John do? He goes straight to Scripture. He quotes Isaiah 40. He says, this is who God says I am. This is what God has called me to do. Friends, this is the first question for you today. It's one we ask all the time around here because it is so central to understanding what it means to live the Christian life. First question, is your identity, who you are, is your calling, who you're called to be, rooted in what God says about you? Or have you attached your identity and your calling to what the world says about you? Does the solid, stable, unchanging word of God define who you are on the deepest level? You see, one thing you'll find is this. People who tend to have unhealthy limits, people who tend to constantly go beyond themselves and live outside of who they're created to be, people who are often overextended, beyond what they can handle or what they have time for, what you find is that at the root of that problem, most of the time is this. Their identity is wrapped up in something else other than God. Their identity is not firmly rooted in the scriptures and what God says about them. Their identity is wrapped up in something like approval. So they find it difficult to say no when people make requests of them because deep down, the thing that's most important to them is what? To be liked, to gain approval. And so how do you gain approval from people when they request something of you, when they ask you for something? You don't say no, you say yes, and now you're just trapped. You just have to say yes and say yes and say yes, because what if they don't like me? What if they reject me? That's at the very core of who I am. I am someone who is approved of. Or their identity is wrapped up in success. All of us can relate to these on some level. They have a hard time not working crazy hours in order to advance in their company because if they fail, if they don't get that promotion, then what would it say about them? What would it say about their value? See, when your identity is wrapped up in success, it drives you past your limits every single time. And then maybe this is even the hardest example. There's people whose identity is wrapped up in not their success, but the success of their children So you see this constantly. Parents who put unimaginable pressure on their kids and push them beyond their limits. Why? Because if my kids aren't successful, then that threatens the very core of who I am. 
And so I drive them and push them and challenge them to live beyond their limits so that I can feel good about me. Friends, there's a whole lot of things. That's just a few samples. There's a whole lot of things that we can form our identities around in this world. And they all come with this pressure. Live beyond your limits. Live outside of who God has created you to be. But healthy limits start with this. They start with knowing who you are. Having a clear identity and calling based in God. That's point one. And it's very closely related to point number two. And this one's simple, but I'll tell you what, friends. For some of you, this will be the most important and powerful and revealing point of the entire morning. John teaches us this. Healthy limits enable you to say no. I I love John in this story. He's asked all these questions, like right at the beginning. These guys just question after question after question. Are you Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. You see, one of the great indicators that you are a person who is growing in emotional health is that you can say, no, no, that's not my thing. No, that's not in my gift mix. No, I don't have time for that right now. No, it's just not in the cards for me. No, that's not a good thing for me and my family these days. Anyone here ever struggle with saying no to someone? Anyone ever struggle with, like, just kind of turning down opportunities or invitations or requests that other people make of you? The people in our recovery community understand this one because it's drilled into them. It's, it's actually at the very center of what it means to, to be reconciled and restored and redeemed back into the person that God wants you to be is this ability to say no. The people in our CR, they'll tell you this, no is a complete sentence. Like, no explanation really even needed. You can just say no, and it's a healthy thing. And it sounds so good, doesn't it? Yeah, I can say no. In fact, I'm going to go home today and say no to some stuff, you know? It sounds awesome. It sounds fun. It sounds liberating. But here's the problem with no. I'm not referring to just things that are bad. Of course you need to say no to bad stuff. Of course there are things that you don't want to do. If, you know, some folks after church today say, I don't like Pastor Dave's sermon and I didn't like it at all and I think we should get even by going to just egg his house, I'm hoping that you're going to say, no, that's not a good idea. That won't be difficult for you, I hope. Especially if you're in high school. Like, don't even think it. Um, That's not a tough one. But here's where it gets tough. When you have to say no to good stuff. When you have to say no to positive stuff. Things that you would like to do or maybe even things that you want to do. Things that you feel obligated to do. Now is when we find out how healthy we really are. Can we say no then? Quick caveat here. um, Because some of you are going to get into trouble on this one. I can see some fights happening in some marriages already. So I want to kind of ward that off at the pass. This is not, we're not talking here about things in life that you don't want to do. All of us have to do things in life that we don't want to do. It's just part of living. It's part of life. It's part of being a responsible, healthy, um, well-adjusted adult. Um, Like a couple of weeks ago, my wife uh, went out of town with her mom. They went to visit her grandma back in North Iowa. I was home alone for five days with the kids, four full days, complete dad supervision only. It was actually really fun. We had a lot of fun. Ice cream for dinner several nights. It's good, good stuff. Um... But one of the things that happens when Amy goes out of town is I assume some of the responsibilities in our home that that she currently takes care of in the way our family's set up right now. And one of those things is the laundry. 
And Amy does not like to do the laundry. She's constantly telling me what a pain the laundry is and how much laundry there is. And to me, to be honest, like, I, I was thinking, like, well, it's just laundry. It's not that hard. You just put it in the machine and you take it out and put it in the drawer. Like, why is such a big deal? Here's what I learned um, those four days. Four kids and two adults can produce a whole heck of a lot of laundry. And I think Amy did, did like a week-long dry spell before she left just so I would feel the intensity of the pain. And I was thinking, you know, what if, what if in that moment when Amy was just about to get home on Monday night, I had just decided, you know what? Laundry's not my thing. Gift of limits, you know? I'm not passionate about laundry. I don't like laundry. I'm not really good at laundry. I haven't been trained properly on the laundering facilities. And so maybe I just won't do it. I'll just say, hey, it's not my deal, hon. Sorry. Um, I'm just going to say no. Do you think that would go over well? No, it wouldn't go over, over well at all. Not a good thing. Friends, we all have things that we should do and we must do, and they're not fun, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the ability to discern commitments in your life that you should say no to, things that you're tempted to say yes to, things that you want to say yes to, things that you feel pressured to say yes to. Do you have the ability, the emotional health, to when God says, that's not a good call, to just say no. And then here's the kicker, guilt-free. In his book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, the book we're kind of using as a jumping-off point for this series, uh, Peter Schizero has a section called Learning to Discern My Limitations. And in, and in this section, he talks about some real practical things, some things you should consider as you think about your limits, the places where you'll say yes and the places where you'll say no. Um, he says, know your personality. Just know who you are. Know your, if you're an extrovert or an introvert, if you're a thinker or you're a feeler, you're someone who enjoys leadership or organization or tasks or spontaneity. You see, sometimes in churches, the way we do things is we say, man, I'm really serving Jesus. Well, how do you know? Because this thing I'm doing is sucking the life out of me. That's how I know it's a Christian activity because it involves a lot of pain and hurt and torture and suffering. See me over here carrying my cross? And I'm not sure that's the right interpretation. I'm not sure that's exactly what Jesus means. Certainly there'll be times and moments where we have to do things we don't want. But overall, in life, God wants us to function in the areas of our giftedness, within the limits of who he has created us to be. So know yourself. Know what gives you life. Know what takes life from you. He talks about looking at your season of life. Are you single, married, an empty nester? Are you in school? Do you have little kids at home? I remember when I first started seminary, I was a full-time youth pastor, and I started taking seminary classes at night. And on our very first evening, the president of the seminary came in, and he sat with all of us brand-new students, and he said this. He said, here's the deal. For the next three years, it was a three-year program. For the next three years, you can just count on your social calendar getting cut in half at least. Do not try to live with the same relational limits that you have lived with up until this point. It will not work. You will fail out of school. See, maybe, or maybe you're in a season of life right now that affords you some extra freedom, some extra ability to say yes about some things. Use that freedom real wisely. Choose what you'll say yes to with the discerning power of the Holy Spirit. Scazzaro talks about considering your capacities. You see, I, we live in this country that says all people are created equal. And 
In terms of a value statement, that's true. We're all valued equally by God. You take God out of that equation and that starts to get a little murky, but, but we've got God in. So, right, we're all created equal. But in terms of gift and ability and talent and time, it's not true at all. We're not equal in any way. So know who you are. Know where your capacities lie. Know where your capacities are limited. You've got physical capacities and emotional capacities and intellectual capacities. You have gifting capacities. You didn't get all the gifts. Paul lists lots of gifts throughout the New Testament. I think he even leaves some out. I promise you this. There's no one in this room that got all of them. And here's a real healthy thing to say. That's not me. That opportunity, that challenge, that invitation, it's just not me. It's not who I am. I don't have the capacity to pull it off. I can't do that. I don't have the ability. It takes a lot of emotional health. It takes healthy limits to make those kinds of statements. It's a real good thing. One of the things I like to do with my kids these days, just kind of ended, which is heartbreaking, is we've been watching the show, and my brother got me into it, called American Ninja Warrior. You ever watch American Ninja Warrior? You know, they get to the top and they're like, Mama Doriyama! Right? And it's kind of cheesy and goofy, but if you haven't seen it, it's this like obstacle course, this series of obstacle courses these guys try and get through and they get progressively harder until finally in the very end, there's only one American Ninja Warrior left. And my kids are still young enough that they think I'm cool. And so my son will say stuff like, we'll be watching these guys do these amazingly difficult obstacle courses. And he'll say stuff like, you could do that one, couldn't you, Dad? And I'll be like, yeah, totally, a kid. There's no chance I could do any of those obstacle courses. First of all, all the guys who win at American Ninja Warrior are like 5'3", because it's all this upper body strength, right? It's these little guys with amazing upper body strength who kind of hurl themselves through these obstacle courses using their arms and their like massive forearms and their big bulky biceps. I have long, skinny arms. I have no upper body strength at all. I have a good frame for basketball, not for American Ninja Warrior. I could quit my job and train 24-7 for five years. I will never, ever, ever be an American ninja warrior. There are some capacity limits that are just afforded to me because of who I am. There's some strengths there and there's some weaknesses. Come to grips with yours, physically, emotionally, intellectually. So there's just things that we need to think about when we're deciding if we can or should or will do something. Healthy limits enable you to say no. It's a good, good thing. Now back to John. John's been questioned about who he is. He's rejected some labels people have tried to put on him. He's affirmed his identity and calling from God. And now we read this in verse 29, John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. This is the guy that I've been preparing you for, John says. He says, I'm not the Messiah. Remember I said it wasn't me? He is. He's the one. He's the man. Now that sounds great, right? What an awesome calling that John had to sort of lift up and point to and defer to Jesus. Skip down to verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. So there he is again at the river, the Jordan River. Um, John is a rabbi of sorts, and so he has his own disciples. Jesus wasn't the only one with disciples. There are, are people who are following John around and learning how to live life from him, modeling their life with God after John. He has disciples. It says this in verse 36. When John saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When his two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. You see that? 
Two of John's disciples, two of John's guys, the guys that were committed to him, are now following Jesus. John is losing disciples here. Now remember, up to this point, John's been a pretty big deal. He's been the talk of the region. People have been coming out to see him by the thousands. But all of a sudden, attention seems to be shifting. Imagine, because John's just a man like you and me, imagine how that must have felt to John. Turn to chapter 3, verse 22. After this, there's some stuff that happens in between here, but we're roughly in the, in the same time period. Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now Jesus is baptizing. Verse 25. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John, I know you said this Jesus guy was real cool and all, but we're losing business here, man. He's taking attention and recognition and popularity and power, and even some of your disciples have left you and are now following him. Friends, here's the third thing we learn from John, such a good, rich thing today about healthy limits. Healthy limits keep you from comparing and competing. Now, I don't know about you, but that's just something that I'm constantly having to watch. How many times have you just compared yourself to someone else? Have you found yourself comparing your life, your gifts, your abilities, your situation to someone else in your life? And then maybe you've even found yourself competing with them, trying to one-up them, trying to catch them, trying to outdo them in some way. And you know what? It's bad when it's your sister. And that joke's kind of funny to some of you and kind of not. Um... You see, if you know who you are, if you have embraced healthy limits in your life, you don't have to try to be somebody else. You can just be yourself. There's an old Jewish rabbi by the name of Zusa, and he's quoted as saying this, In the coming world, they will not ask me, Why were you not more like Moses? They will ask me, Why were you not more like Zusa? You see, So often we see something in someone else. We see their capacity, their calling, their skills, their fame, their intelligence or wit or good looks or gifts or abilities in area. And we think, man, that's great. That's the thing I've always wanted. I want to be like them. If I could only be like them, do what they do, be who they are, then I'd be happy. Then I'd feel the contentment that I'm looking for in my soul. But here's the honest truth. It'll never happen. I will never be as organized as Lori Kelly. Isn't that such a sad reality, Lori? Lori works with me in the office, and she's like, that's true. Um, I will never be as kind and compassionate or as good a listener as John Hamilton. I will never be as wise as Dan Larson or have as nice a hair as he does. I will never... I will never be as winsome as Pastor Gavi. I will never be as smart as Matt Bowen. I will never sing as well as Allie and Jerry. And friends, here's the beauty of all those statements. I don't have to be. I should not even try to be. When I get to heaven, God isn't going to look at me and say, Darn it, Dave, why couldn't you be more like Ron Carlson? I mean, he's such a good guy. He was officing right next to you. You could have just taken cues from him and copied. No, God won't say that to me. God will say, Dave... How come you weren't more like the Dave Tashira I created you to be? How come you didn't lean more heavily into your gifts and ability and calling? 
How come you spent so much time competing and comparing with other people when you had all you need to accomplish all I wanted right within you by my power? You see, God doesn't want me or you to seek after the gifts and talents or abilities of other people. He wants me to steward and leverage everything I can out of the gifts and talents and abilities he's given me. That's what the parable of the talents is actually all about. doesn't matter how many talents you get. It doesn't matter how much you've been given. It's all grace. It's all for free. You didn't deserve any of it. Now, just steward what you got. Don't worry about what you didn't get or what someone else got. Friends, recognize this. Because the pull of culture goes the complete opposite direction here. Recognize that you live in a world that will constantly pressure you into comparing and competing, will promote the comparing and competing of others. You see it all over the place. You see it especially in social media. Here's what happens. You know your life, don't you? You know your life pretty well. You know the good parts about your life. You know the things you like about yourself. But you also know the bad parts. You know the grimy parts. You know the things that you think about that you never tell anybody else, that no one else even knows. You know the stuff you do or don't do. You know all the icky, gooey, grimy junk that's part of you. Actually, you don't. You only know part of it. God will reveal the rest of it to you someday when you die. That's a day to look forward to, but that's another sermon. Um, That's what you know about yourself, though. Lots of junk. And then what you do is you take that, your real life, and you compare it to the 0.01%, the best 0.01% of everybody else's life that they post on Facebook. Amy and I call it cropping out the sadness. Everybody does this. You just you post pictures, what do you do? You crop out the sadness. You always post pictures of your finest moments. I mean, people like scroll, do you do this? You scroll through and you find a picture where you look the best. It didn't matter what your family looks like. It didn't matter how good your kids look. I look good in this picture. This is the one I'm putting up. That's what people do. Look at this amazing meal we had for dinner. Do you eat like that every night? No, once a year, but that's the one that's going on Instagram. Think about it. When was the last time you saw someone post something like, had a big fight with the wife last night. Here's a picture of me sleeping on the couch. (laughs) Or, in all caps, major moral failure. See attached photo of what I chose to do yesterday. (laughs) Or my parenting hits an all-time low. Take a look at our kids eating nothing but candy and watching TV all day long. People don't post that kind of stuff. So we're constantly being bombarded with this message. My life doesn't compare. It doesn't compare with other people. And at some point, that message starts to hit you in a place where you really want what someone else has or what they seem to have. And then there's this overwhelming temptation to compete and compare with other people and to try to live into their life instead of your own. John the Baptist says, No! No, I will not get sucked into that. Jesus is growing in popularity. Great. My cousin's following is on the rise. You know, sometimes we think about Jesus and John and we forget they're just cousins. They grew up together. Anyone ever been outdone by their cousin? My cousin plays first base for the New York Yankees. So there you go. Um, John says, people that used to think I'm really cool now think he's cool. That's fine because I know who I am and I know what I'm called to do. I have limits and I will live within them. You know, one of the keys to embracing the gift of limits is to ask and understand this. Where is the pressure to live beyond myself coming from? 
Like, I feel this need to compete. I feel this need to go beyond. I feel this need to try and be someone that I actually really know that I'm not. Why? What's driving that? What's underneath all of that junk? Why is it that I feel the need to try and do more things than my schedule allows or have a different body type than I was created to have or own more stuff than my income can provide? What is driving it? Friends, if that's the case, if if you're tempted to try and emulate or compete or compare or be someone that you're not, maybe there's a specific person even in mind. There's a person that you're constantly chasing and trying to live up to. Maybe it's a series of people. Let me encourage you to do this. Name that person. Just take the power right out of it. Just bring it right into light. Just name that person. Write it on a piece of paper and then write these words. I am not Bill and God doesn't want me to be. I am not her and God does not want me to be. I am not him and God does not want me to be. See, there's a lot of pressure in this moment for John to compare himself and compete with Jesus, to reach out and try and live beyond his limits, but he says no. And here's another thing I love about this story. He doesn't do this in isolation. John wrestles through this struggle, not alone, but with some of his followers, with some of his disciples, with the guys who he's doing life most closely with. If you go back in the story, you'll see it's actually some of John's disciples that come to him and say, come on, John, we got to up the game. We got to like kick it into overdrive. We got to take it up a notch. We got to go for the promotion We've got to launch an ad campaign. We need to get the people back. And John says, no, no, no. That is not the emotionally, spiritually mature way to live. In fact, if you read this story and you just continue on, you can hear what John has to say in response to their concern. This is John chapter 3, verse 27. This is probably the most beautiful verse I will share with you this morning. This is one that's actually worth writing on your mirror and committing to memory. Listen to the words of John in response to his disciples as they pressure him to live beyond his limits. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Just say that in your mind right now. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. I can receive only what is given me from heaven. You see, there's another point to learn from John. Healthy limits will rub off on the people around you. John is painfully aware in this moment that he's not only making decisions for himself, but that he is impacting and instructing and guiding and teaching the men who are following him. You ever notice how these sorts of things sort of weave their way into families or communities? People that live well beyond their limits and out-of-control lives attract and breed other people that live beyond their limits and out-of-control lives. People that learn to have healthy boundaries and limits create and attract people that have healthy boundaries and limits. You see, you do not make these kinds of decisions in isolation. The decisions you make about living within your limits, being yourself or trying to be someone else will impact not just you but your family and our church. That's why it's so important that we're in this together. See, here's the deal, friends. We need each other on this. Sometimes we need people to help us recognize that we are trying to live beyond ourselves. Sometimes we need people to grab us and say, hey, you're way overextended. Let's think again about that decision. Can I talk to you 
about this thing that you volunteered for, that you're trying to engage? Because I just don't think it's you. We all need people to do that for us. We need people to give us permission to be who God created us to to be. The summer before my senior year in high school, it was a few weeks before school started. It was right before two-a-days for the football team was about to start. And um, I was going to play football. I mean, that's what I did. I played football. We, I started playing my freshman year in high school. Um, it was just sort of something I always expected to do. That We had a family that was into football. My dad played football. My parents are here today. Um, and, and my dad was like a football phenom star in South Florida, and he's going to be embarrassed that I shared that with you. And um, He played against Mean Joe Green and kicked his butt. That's what my mom said. Um, um, <laughs> And he got like a full ride scholarship to play football. And so when my brother and I were little, um, my dad really didn't brag about it, but my mom would leak out some stuff and we'd see some pictures and we'd always feel like, yeah, our dad was amazing. He was football. And we'd be like, I'm going to be a football player like my dad. And somewhere in there, I kind of got it in my mind like, I, I just have to be a football player. I mean, that's kind of what's expected. That's what I do. I'm the oldest son and you play football. Here's the problem. My freshman year, I played football and I broke my leg. My sophomore year, I played football and I broke my hand. My junior year, I played football, and I tore my ACL. My body was not built for football. But there I was, two weeks before school, ready to jump into football my senior season. But you know what was on the line this year? was I had actually become a fairly decent basketball player, and it looked like I was going to maybe get a college basketball scholarship. And that was like my life dream and goal and everything I had kind of hoped for at that point in my life. And, and yet I was going to kind of risk it all to play football. And one day... Um, right before school, my dad grabbed me and he said, hey, let's go, let's go have a talk. I think my mom sort of prodded him into this. Is that how it went, mom? Mom gets credit for all this stuff. Um, and we went over to this elementary school and there's the place where I used to shoot hoops and this is what would, how it would go. I would just shoot and dad would rebound and pass the ball back to me and I would just shoot jumper after jumper and we would talk. We'd just talk. And during this time, um, remember this, dad? You do? I, my dad says to me, um, so you can play football this year. Yep, yep, I play football, yep. And then he says, why? (laughs) Uh, I don't know, because I'm signed up, (laughs) you know. Um, And and then he went on to say, hey, I don't want you to play for me. In fact, I think he went as far as to say, I don't think you should play this year because there's too much on the line and and I definitely don't want you to do it if you're just playing for me. And you know what? It was in that very moment, all of a sudden, that I realized the only reason I was playing football was for my dad. And all I needed was for him just to help me kind of see, hey, you don't have to do that. You can live within your own limits. You can be your own person. You can follow your own path. To just give me permission to pull back and say no. The very next day, I was at the coach's house and said, Coach, I'm not playing. I'm not playing football this year. How much freedom was there in that? Dad, I never thank you for that. That was a really just a huge blessing for me when you did that. Um, parents, this brings up such a good point. We must help our kids with this. We must help them, instead of pushing them to be everything we always wanted to be or everything we want them to be, we must help them discern and discover who they are so they can learn to embrace and steward and lean into and live within they're God-given gifts and abilities. That's our role as parents. That's our role as the body of Christ. 
Because here's the tragedy. If they spend their lives trying to reach beyond who God has created them to be, if we live our lives this way, pursuing the gifts and talents of somebody else, then we will forfeit the very thing that God so longs for each one of his children to have. And that's this, deep emotional internal peace and hope and contentment and joy. I love how this story ends. Listen to what John ends up with. Because he decides to live within his limits, to live out his God-given calling and not try to live the calling of someone else. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven, John says. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. He's talking about himself here. He's saying, I'm just playing my role. I'm just being who I'm called to be. And then he says this, and he is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. It's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. He must become greater. I must become less. You know what it's a verse about? It's a, a verse about a guy who understood his limits and learned to live within who God created him to be instead of trying to be someone else. What about you? This week, what I want to challenge you to do is I want you to challenge you to understand that healthy limits lead to a life of deep joy. You see, the very thing you're searching for when you go beyond your limits and outside of who you are is the very thing God wants to give you when you just learn to live your life as you. And so in your community groups this week, wrestle with this one. If you're not in a group, grab a friend and go to coffee and ask questions like this. Who am I? What am I called to do? Who am I called to be? Who am I not? What am I not called to do? What are my limitations? Just get real honest about that. Where, where here's another one, here, where am I feeling pressure to live outside of my limitations right now in this season of my life? And what's driving that? Where is there emotional unhealth? Because I can't say no. Where do I see that? At that like chest-cracking exercise. God, just show me that stuff and let's start to deal with it. Help me know who I am and just let me live in it. Because that, friends, is when we will experience the complete deep joy that John does here. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to close our worship service. We just have one kind of closing chorus that Ali's going to come and lead for us. And it's that chorus we started with, rejoice. But as we sing today, we're not going to rejoice over all of our gifts and all of our blessings and all of our strengths. Today, we're going to rejoice. We're going to say, God, thank you. Thank you for my limits. Thank you for who I'm not, because it's in discovering who I'm not that I can find the freedom to live the life that you long for me to live and be who I am. Let's pray. Father, today, I ask that you would shine a light on the places in our hearts and souls where we have not come to grips with this where we're maybe living someone else's dream or trying to be someone we're not or overextending ourselves because our core identity is really wrapped up in approval or something. Lord, I know I have a long way to go on this one still. So um, do what only you can do. Encourage us, move us forward. Help us to be the church you've called us to be and the people that you've created us to be. That is our prayer together.
We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.